in Colombia, somehow we have a still a very limited vision of peace. For many of us, it's still a political issue that creates political division, but we're beginning to make peace a common goal for society. I think that involves society as a whole. Even if you don't agree with the agreement or whatever, it starts to be seen as a common goal in society and in media as well. Welcome to Making Peace Visible. I'm your host, Jamil Simon. In 2016, the government of Colombia signed a historic peace accord with the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, known as the FARC, putting an end to a 50-year civil war. The agreement allowed FARC members to turn in their weapons and begin to live as civilians. The first film in our Peace Doc series, A Call for Peace, gave us an inside look at the peace process. I also interviewed the filmmaker Juan Carlos Barrero here on the podcast. The Colombian Truth Commission was established to shed light on decades of atrocities and human rights violations that were committed during the Civil War. It was created in the belief that truth makes reconciliation possible. This summer, the Commission released its full report. Over a thousand people worked on it. They conducted interviews with over 24,000 Colombians. And in August, Gustavo Petro took office as president. Petro is a vocal supporter of the peace agreement, and he's a former guerrilla combatant, in itself a testament to the change that's taken place in Colombia. Our guest this episode was one of the editors of the Truth Commission report, and I'm just thrilled to hear his perspective. Daniel Salgar is a journalist who's worked in national and international media in Colombia for the past 10 years. He was a reporter for the newspaper El Espectador, where he oversaw a project on peacebuilding called Colombia 2020. He was editor of the Spanish news service for Andalou, a Turkish international news agency. Daniel, I want to thank you for joining us today. Jamil, thanks a lot. I'm very happy to be here. It's very good timing. It's a very good moment to talk about peace in Colombia right now. You know, we just have a change of government. Now we have the final report of truth commissions. The work that you and your team have been doing, producing the report for the Columbia Truth Commission, is remarkable. I mean, it reflects a very strong commitment to really understanding what happened. I'm sure it's too early to recognize its impact, but can you speculate a bit about the impact you think it could have? Well, I think it will take decades for the society to understand the deep messages of this report. As you say, now it's too early to say. There's one one good thing that happened is that the new government had a positive reception of the final report. This is different government and they their commitment is to work on the peace agreement with FARC and open new peace dialogues with other guerrilla, even with drug cartels or armed groups. They are open. They are open-minded towards peace building. Just looking at Colombia from the outside, there's uh, something that I find very interesting, and I'm trying to understand what looks like a major shift in public attitude towards the peace agreement. And I was wondering, how did it come about? Because when you consider it, following Santos... He was followed by Ivan Duque, who was an opponent of the peace agreement, and he thwarted its implementation. But then they elect Petro. 
who's an avowed supporter of the peace agreement. So the public must have shifted their perspective a bit to have elected someone who ran on the peace agreement and who intends to support it. Yes. There's and I'm just wondering about that shift. How did it come about? Did the press have something to do with it? What do you, how do you explain that? All right. When I'm asked about this shift toward peace building in Colombia, I think that the answer is complex. Of course, the peace agreement with FARC brought some very important changes in society and in the narratives and the way we understand the conflict and the way we understand the enemy. But the peace agreement with FARC was just the latest of several pacification efforts with different armed groups and with the support of movements and civil society. We have always lived not only at war, but in this relation between war and peace since late 50s, when there was a plebiscite and the National Front was approved. There was this two parties political system, liberals and conservatives. It was a pacification effort to end a cruel civil war between them. But still, it wasn't enough. There was more to be done. This binary conception of society was not enough for the society we had. If we go to 1991, there is a major shift. Even Petro, our president, he was a guerrilla combatant before. He was a member of one important guerrilla. And he demobilized, and some other guerrilla groups demobilized, and they were part of the constituent assembly that wrote our new constitution. That's interesting. So let's remember that there were several former guerrilla combatants writing our constitution, valid until now. So again, right. this one was a very important pacification effort that changed the state, that brought a modern constitution. But again, it wasn't enough. The war just kept going. There were other guerrilla groups like FARC, like the National Liberation Army that didn't demobilize. So now, 2016, we have this peace agreement signed with the most, with the biggest one, with the most important guerrilla, not only in Colombia, but in Latin America, maybe the world. So we have this important peace agreement that also transformed society. But it looks like, again, after the peace agreement, you know, if I'm looking back, it was 2016. Again, it wasn't enough. (laughs) We still see armed violence all around the Colombian territory. We see guerrilla groups, drug cartels, killings, massacres, kidnappings, the daily violence. So now this new government comes with the commitment to achieve what they call the great peace, the complete peace. So they are opening doors, like absolutely opening doors for negotiation with different armed groups. And this is their strategy now. They're trying to open the democracy to integrate the enemy, the enemies. And it's not what Ivan Duque did. He just he was just closing doors and preventing from the implementation of the peace agreement with FARC. You said a kind of interesting thing in our conversation last week. You said that you are part of a generation of Colombian journalists that have spent a lot of their careers covering peace building, but you followed an older generation who spent their careers covering a civil war, and that's a really interesting shift. Do you think that had an impact on the public's perceptions of the peace agreement? Yeah, I'm sure it does. If we go back some decades, there was a totally different narrative. Some of the journalists who worked on the most important media say they used to work under the premise that the guerrilla groups, their ideologies shouldn't be 
amplified in the media coverage. They were not treated as political subjects, but just as enemies to be killed. So their political nature and the political violence was somehow denied or it was made invisible in some media. They thought that by covering these armed groups, they were amplifying their message. Uh, so there was like a kind of censorship, let's call it. So in a way, journalists tried not to follow their game of guerrilla, especially. No? But in other ways, I think the, in the recent times, the mindset of journalists is, has opened the frame. Now we try to understand who are these people, where they do what they do. And basically, we're understanding they are also human beings. And if there's not a justification for their acts, maybe there are some explanation about their own mindsets and actions and there are also possible ways to bring them back into legal society and reduce violence so yeah we are doing now this kind of journalism we are thinking on the possibility of achieving peace and understanding the other it was not clear before during the last years we have definitely seen a lot of effort from media companies to develop peace building projects i was editor of one of them but there are many there were a lot more yeah, the, was that the Spectador 2020? Yeah, it was It was part of El Spectador newspaper. The proper name was uh, Colombia 2020. Yes, and that sounded really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because peace-building efforts are done during war in Colombia. So these kind <laughs> of projects, are not, they don't have a fictitious narrative about peace or a naive narrative about peace and they are they're still covering armed violence they are not giving up their critical vision about the situation of armed violence in colombia indeed many times they are reporting from conflict zones so they are making visible what's going on during the war but they are also doing so with a language in key of reconciliation so i think it's important to say that we are just getting past the simple narrative of good guys versus bad guys when we're trying to understand the other in a different way not just like the enemy or a threat to be eliminated but as an adversary as president used to say yeah i mean there are significant dividends to peace building, <laughs> God knows. And I'm wondering if people are beginning to see some of these dividends in their daily lives. I think we have. I think we have. It's not that easy to say, because if you look at the figures, armed violence in Colombia and the problems of land distribution, inequality, land dispossession, forced displacement, they are still going on. It's not like we are living in a very peaceful country now. But I guess um, with the will of new governments and serious implementation of the agreement, there will be a transformation during this government, hopefully, because the agreement with FARC, it's not only about demobilizing people, uh, combatants. It's about addressing the main roots of violence and transforming the state. I think it's early to say, it's just five years after the agreement and we had a government, Duque government, with no will to implement it. So we are almost starting again, you know? No, it does feel that way. I mean, in 2016, the Minister of of Economics and Finance under Santos came and spoke before, as he was a keynote speaker at the Alliance for Peacebuilding annual meeting. 
and he outlined some of the economic development aspects of the peace agreement. And they were very progressive and very, very inclusive. They really seemed to recognize the impact of land issues, the impossibility for poor people to gain control of their land and the exploitation that followed. The kinds of in initiatives that they were making part of the peace agreement were so impressive. Yeah. And obviously, a lot, most of that didn't happen. Yeah, it's, I think it's just a very long-term process because the agreement uh, really faces structural problems that have been here not only during the armed conflict since colonialism, basically. It addresses the problem of ethnical minorities. It has a very innovative uh, gender approach. It uh, goes to the roots of inequality. Still a lot to do to achieve this kind of transformations. You know, one of the another nice signals of the change now that makes people feel hope is our vice president. She's a black woman from ethnic black communities that have never been in power before. And they they have been the most affected or one of the most affected populations by armed violence. Because besides armed violence, they are also black and she's women. So different layers of oppression. Um, having her now as vice president is quite powerful. It's remarkable. Very powerful yeah. Me message in and of itself. So it's something to double think or to think deeply. I think that the peace agreement with FARC did some steps, but there's a lot more to change if we want to think development from the base, no? not right. bringing development from the north, but right. a proper view of our development. No? I'm not talking about a socialist model or something like this, because this, this is fake news in Colombia, these kind of things, <laughs> but talking about a proper uh, vision of our development and including these communities that have not been heard until now. I think that's so true. And Colombia is such an interesting experiment in peace building. And it's not been a straight line by any means. And I think in terms of a global narrative about peace building, people have to learn that peace building unfolds slowly and that it encounters obstacles. It's supporting it over time. Is it sustaining the support for the peace agreement that is really going to pay the dividends that we're all looking for in yeah. a situation like that? Yeah, this is the thing. Also, I would say we, we need to learn. In Colombia, somehow we have a still a very limited vision of peace. It's For many of us, it's still a political issue that creates political division, but I think we're beginning to make peace a common goal for society. I think that involves society as a whole. Even if you don't agree with the agreement or whatever, it starts to be seen as a common goal in society and in media as well. You know, this, this debate between uh, journalism and activism, I think media are becoming more responsible when there are values that should be universal. It doesn't mean you're activist but you're responsible towards society, towards creating realities and being an agent of social change and building peace also from media. You know, in the U.S., our wars are fought overseas, and so when soldiers return from war, the news media tends to cast them in a positive light. But in the wake of a civil war, 
I imagine it's a lot more complicated welcoming former combatants into the into the political life of the country. Yeah, it's been very difficult process. It's a process of learning from society to be inclusive. The laws are there, the paperwork is done, <laughs> but now it's a matter of society, of you being able to hear and understand the other. And those people that were perpetrators before, maybe they attacked or killed your own family because this is happening. And they are now with you. No? They are taking the bus with you every day. And some of them are even congressmen. Congressmen were elected because of the agreement, not because of popular support or something. They have a seat in the Congress and they decide about our laws and everything. So it's very hard for a large part of Colombian society. And there is a lot of political, a very big and serious political opposition against these peace processes. But there's also the other half. Colombia is divided basically in halves. Uh, the other half is supporting it. And there's a lot of involvement of international community, civil society. It's not only a matter of the government. Even the media are involved. No, and it's very important for the peace building to be strong at a local level. I mean, that that's for the long term what's going to make it make a huge difference yeah. in, if it comes from the ground up. Yeah, I think we should understand that it's not a government matter because four years is not enough, even eight years not enough. It's a long-term process. And also there's something that makes me doubt this strategy of announcing the great peace, the total peace or the complete mm, peace. Mm. Um, because this has been the narrative of Petro government, which is not bad at all. I mean, this is our goal, okay? But it creates a lot of hope. So right. maybe in four years, people will say, oh, no, you didn't make it to the total peace. We're still violent society. We still see armed violence. So it's a question of ma managing expectations. Exactly. And we can speak about how journalists approach reintegration of, of combatants. I now remember some words of, from one of the commissioners at the Truth Commission. Her name is Marta Ruiz. She was my boss. She's also a famous journalist in Colombia. So during the launch of this report, she said some powerful words. It was like, I'm sorry, but there are no heroes in the history of war. What we have is victims and losers. And the losers are mainly the poorest people of this country. Innocent people from remote territories that have been objects of several layers of oppression. So this summarizes one of the most controversial points between the Truth Commission and the political sector that is against it, which is mostly a right-wing political sector or far-right conservative sector. And it is that the Commission doesn't uncritically incorporate this heroic narrative of the state forces. So the Commission tries to go beyond the hegemonic narrative of heroes and bad guys. It goes further and assumes the complexity of a war where the state forces, especially in Colombia, they have been also amid the worst perpetrators. And they cannot be considered heroes when they committed massive killings of civilians and acted against the citizens and the laws they are supposed to protect. So the truth of war cannot be conceived under the premise that the state has been always legitimate. This is a powerful message from the commission. Huh? The state has also been a perpetrator. In the Colombian case, it is 
clear that state forces and institutions have acted in alliances with paramilitary groups and drug cartels. They are also responsible for human rights violations and war crimes. So if we want to over, if we really want to overcome the problem of the conflict, we must recognize that there's also structural problems inside the state forces and institutions. We should be reformed in order to reduce violence. But the heroic story prevents us from seeing the complexity and the reality of war. About the journalists approaching the the bad guys coming again to society, journalists, same as society, journalists, they are also divided. We cannot speak about journalists in Colombia as an homogeneous group. We still have very important journalists, some media directors, several opinion leaders that are freaked out with the fact that former guerrilla commanders mm-hmm. now have a seat in Congress or that the former... Well, the president. Yeah. So there's a position from the media. Those journalists still live under the frame of good guys versus bad guys. They still put them on the other side of the line, even when they gave up weapons and everything. And So... There's still opposition in media against the agreement. But on the other hand, there are many other journalists that think more critically and they try to approach the situation in a different way. So they're more connected with the idea that even if we don't agree with the proposals of former FAR combatants, as we said, it's still desirable for them to be at the Congress rather than being in the mountains, exactly. committing crimes, massacre, whatever. I guess some peace-building journalistic projects sometimes mistake. (laughs) Sometimes they take the way of simplifying reality. Sure. Showing just what (laughs) they want to show, like very positive stories and pretending there's nothing else happening. So, yeah, it's important to capture the big picture, especially in a country where we're Everything is happening at the same time while war is also going on. Right. No, we need to look at things with a wider lens and um, kind of capture some of the things that, that just aren't visible to people in terms of the movement towards reconciliation. You know, and, and these are the dividends of peace building. Yeah. I think one of the dividends of what you're saying, and media has a lot to do with it, is widening the frame of democracy. Opening the um, democracy, working for a real democracy that includes the ones that have been on the on the other side of the line, because it's if you see the Colombian history, this is what has been happening. Colum- Colombian democracy has been opening, and you know, it's each time bigger. So there is each time more room for everyone. <laughs> this is desirable, and this is quite related to a peace-building narrative. Well, God willing, that will happen in the United States as well. (laughs) At this point in the conversation, our producer, Andrea, who was listening in, had a question. She was trying to understand the difficulty and frustration of covering peace in a country where there's ongoing violence. Andrea wanted to know how Daniel keeps from becoming cynical about peace. To tell you the truth, I'm not sure if I have kept from being cynical. It's not that I enjoy or not care about the facts I'm covering, but the reality is that for over a decade I've been covering violence, maybe not only in Colombia, but also in other countries. So in a, in a way, it is impossible not to get used to it. It's something that has been happening on a daily basis. 
massacres, kidnappings. This is the news, the mainstream news in Colombia. No? So we face a high level of violence in a daily basis. It ceases to amaze us, which is very sad. So I'm not sure if I kept from being cynical. I still have a sensitivity towards uh, human suffering, but I'm used to work on a daily basis in the context of violence and war somehow. It's, it's, it sounds sad, but it's the way it is. So I just try to keep my balance. If I compromise all my emotions on every war-related news, it would be impossible. You know, I would already had a nervous breakdown. My <laughs> daily job as a journalist or editor would be just unsustainable. So it's pretty sad that journalists, we adapt and we think it's part of the normality to live in such a violent country. But still, Daniel is an optimist when it comes to peace. I think peace um, should be our common goal in society. And even we shouldn't be naive about the government narratives about peace. I still think there are possibilities. Colombian history has shown that there are plenty of possibilities to negotiate. As we have said here, we are a, a laboratory on peace building. So I think Colombia is becoming each time more important on these regards. And I'm, I'm very optimistic, actually, about the new government. I don't believe like in total peace of, or something like this, but I do believe they will make a meaningful effort to reduce violence and not only armed violence with guerrilla groups, but also state violence. They are also planning to reform the state forces, which is very important to the peace building and protection of human rights. Absolutely. We've had some journalists on the podcast who spoke about the concept of bias in journalism. We interviewed Reza Saya, who covered the Egyptian revolution and the fight against ISIS in Iraq. And he says that he has a bias towards peace and he is vocal about it. And Zaina Erheim, she covered the Syrian civil war and <laughs> she has a bias towards human rights. I mean, I was wondering, do you have a bias? I mean, do you feel like it's important to have one? Well, I think it would be very sad for me to say that I don't have a bias towards peace. No? In some journalistic circles, talking about bias has a negative, pejorative meaning, I guess. Bias is seemed as an inconvenient practice. But as I'm saying, if we look at the big picture, uh, peace and even human rights are not this kind of bias. All mm -hmm. modern human history has been a constant effort to make agreements and construct more peaceful societies to achieve peace as a common goal. So I would say that over the last years, journalists have assumed this reality and the fact that media are not only delivering information under the myth of objectivity, but they have a very important role and responsibility on transforming imaginaries, constructing social reality, public opinion and truth, and of course, building peace. So when we are conscious of these facts, we are not talking about a journalistic bias, but journalistic responsibility towards society. So, of course, I do have a bias towards peace, and I'm proud of it. You can find links to the Truth Commission report and some of Daniel Salgar's reporting in the show notes. Most of his work is in Spanish. If you don't speak Spanish, Google Translate can help. Making Peace Visible is produced by Andrea Moraskin. I'm Jamil Simon. 
Peter Agus is the creative director of the War Stories Peace Stories Project. We're on Twitter at War Stories Peace and visit us at warstoriespeacestories.org. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'd love to hear your feedback on the show. You can also email me at jsimon at warstoriespeacestories.org. Thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next time.